Welcome to the Sea Change Podcast with Audrey Lawrence, helping you smash your goals and unstick what's holding you back using the best hack from science and psychology. And now, here's Audrey. Hey, it's Audrey Lawrence, and welcome to another episode of the Sea Change Network, broadcasting on WWPR and the Sea Change Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Understanding why our brains do that and how we can hack science, neuroscience, and psychology to get us closer to our goals. Today's guest, Dr. Lynn Felez, speaker, author of nine books, hello, that's amazing, certified hypnotherapist, is here today to share with us some of his thoughts on the mind-body connection and visualization as a practice. Welcome, Dr. Feles. Thank you so much for being here. It is truly my pleasure, Audrey. This is great. You know, I love talking to you. And I thought the best way to do this just is to turn on the cameras and let us have the conversations that we always have that are so cool and thought provoking. It's so funny that when the cameras are off and we just chat, that's that moment when I'm like, oh, I want to share that with the world. (laughs) He said something so cool. So today's just going to be like that. It might feel like you're watching Audrey have a therapy session, but honestly, (laughs) so much content in our times together and I'm grateful for them. So let's get into it. How's everything going with you? Good, good. Living the dream. 77-year-old feel agile, mobile, and hostile. Uh, I'm good. Good. Feel good in Seattle. It's snow on the ground, but I love snow because I'm from Hawaii and I don't get to experience that. And every year when we do, if we do, I love it. I love the snow. I I love Hawaii, but I also love the snow. And I get a chance to experience it right now. It's great out. It's perfect. Yeah, we're all getting hit with a little bit of it, but you know what? It's great that you have that perspective. So often I hear people say, oh, I love this, but I hate that. And I'm I'm always a little bit sad when people use that word so freely and so easily. And I wonder what it does to our brains to make such declarations of hate. What do you Amen. think about mind-body connections and, and making these conversations, certainly negative energy, but what does it mean sure. to ourselves when we start owning these negative mentalities? Well, you know, like, like I've always told you, um, it's pretty simple. The, the connection between our mind and our body. We have a subconscious mind that really dictates everything that we do. The way we think, the way we feel, the way we talk, the way we act, all based on programs that our subconscious mind has developed for us. So we we, we kind of live by default. Our subconscious mind controls most of what we do. Our subconscious mind is an incredible computer-like machinery that has recorded all of the every incident that's ever happened in our lives. And it, it catalogs it like a Rolodex. So that when something comes up similar, we, we think, we feel, we talk, and we act the same way, consistent with that. What we don't realize is when we act by default, we deny the fact that we can change our programs, change our videos, change our, our, our the pictures that we have so that our life can change in the future. Our subconscious mind controls about 95% of everything that we do. You know, you get in a car, start the ignition, and you just go on autopilot and you get to your work. You walk up the stairs, 
you're, you're at the bottom of the stairs and you walk up. You don't think, God, I've got to put my left foot, then my right foot, my left foot. No, it's automatically programmed as part of the subconscious mind's activities. The problem is our subconscious mind wants to protect us, wants to ensure that we don't get, we don't, we don't experience failure. So it keeps us in this box and in this lane and it precludes us from jumping outside. And what's amazing is I said, the subconscious mind controls 95% of everything that we do. And our conscious mind controls about 5%. Our conscious mind, we, we, only, we only can control about three, four, maybe five things at one time in our conscious mind. Whereas our subconscious mind just literally is 24 seven going, recording everything. But the one thing our conscious mind can do that is unbelievably important, and I want everybody to know, you can develop mental pictures, visions, images to give to your, your subconscious mind. And once you do that, your subconscious mind doesn't have the ability, the only thing it can do is set up programs that meet that. Everybody's heard of the law of attraction and the secret. If you consciously come up with a vision of where you want to be, who you want to become, and you provide that to your subconscious mind in great detail, you know, uh, I've got pictures of me when I was 30 and I look good. That's a vision I have of myself. And I've gone from, I've gone from 247, I'm 219 right now. Uh, and I believe, and I eat, I eat whatever I want to eat. It's just amazing what the, if you consciously develop an image, see, the mind-body connection, when the mind and the body is in sync, that's when you're in the zone, and the mind dictates to the body, how are you going to think, feel, talk, and act? That's what the mind does to your body. Yep. But the body can control how the mind develops pictures. And that's why I say, if you don't have a clear, succinct, concise picture of who you want to be, what you want to be, what you, how you want to think, feel, talk, and act, then you're destined to live out all the programs that your subconscious mind has developed for you by default. So we live lives by default. You know, we live lives by, by default. And I say, I, I love the law of attraction. I love it. the things you think about the most, the pictures you have, the images you have the most are destined to become the life you live. What I think about today the dominant thoughts I have today are going to predict my life tomorrow. And it's so sad. So many of us don't realize that we're living on autopilot, as you said, denying ourselves the change. The piece of this, Lynn, that I find so interesting and that has helped sort of demystify the part of this is where it comes from in our brain. That that old, I like to call it caveman brain, that that old uh -huh. hedonic caveman brain wants to control pain and wants to control fear, 
for the purpose of moving the pack forward, for saving our generations. So what's That's your subconscious mind. You got it. And what's yeah. hardwired into us that protects us from fire is hot really isn't the story of today's life, but it's hardwired in how we function. Caveman brain still takes over. So Thank that you. fear or that rage, a lot of these very primal basic feelings come from the need to protect the herd. But honestly, in my life, like herd protection is like getting a parking spot at the mall. Like it's <laughs> not the appropriate response, but yet we have these framings that are deeply wired into us. And when we understand that fear and the framing behind fear, not the kind of fear that needs to keep us safe, but the kind of fear that exaggerates a circumstance to keep Absolutely. the herd moving forward or the Absolutely. kind of the motivation that drives us probably is just part of that caveman brain. And he needs to take a seat on the rock over there and let functioning me drive the process of my brain and not get lost in suspense between caveman brain taking over or just autopilot. That's a really crappy space to live in when I'm not in charge. And if we Thank can you. isolate caveman and say, listen, that's part of the hedonic transaction of what it is to want to survive and thrive, that scarcity feeling, that fear of fire that really is not too hot, the review of failure that makes us look away. So often uh -huh. we miss out on the opportunity to review failure because our brain decides that the pain is dangerous and the old caveman brain wants to move us away from pain. So in that, we never take that moment to have a retrospective. We never look at what happened to say, mm, this is how I can grow. But that yeah. single point of failure review becomes a point of growth. And I always find it interesting how business has no problem achieving success because they have a retrospective. They look at the problem. They say, here's where we messed up. Go plug the bucket and we're going to move on. In our own lives, it's holy crap, that was painful. That hurts. I don't want to do that. And our brain has uh -huh. some natural sensors built in, in the frontal cortex that moves us away from pain, takes things out of the amygdala and moves it away so that we don't have to feel these things because that's how the caveman brain works. And when I realize that, and when I share it with people, they're like, oh, that this single point of failure review is only going to hurt for that second, but is that one point that completely suspends your opportunity to grow. And if you knew that about your brain, your fail points, your fear points, your motivation points, you might be able to connect that mind a little easier, disconnect the caveman brain and be conscious in your practice about what you choose Critical. for your own life versus denying the change you're entitled to because you live on autopilot. You talk about consciously, and that is the key. You know, what if I asked you and your audience, how would you, what do you want? What do you want in a relationship? What do you want? What, what do you want in, in your health? What do you want in your job? What do you want financially? Now, that as soon as I ask those questions, your subconscious mind automatically says, well, wait a minute now. I want to keep, we don't want failure now. We want to, you know, we want to keep going in the direction. We're okay, aren't we? We're here. We've survived. But I'm telling you that you can if you want something special, I don't care whether it's a relationship, a job, money, health, how would you feel if you got what you wanted? What would it feel like? Be amazing. What would it, what would it look like? What would it taste like? Now, once you start doing that, now that's that's at your conscious mind level. And you, so you come up, 
with an image of me 30 standing in the pool with my shirt off and and I look good. Well, that's my image that I go to bed at with every night. I see that, you know, and I want the first thing I wanted is I wanted to get from my 44 inch waist down to 40. And I went to 40, then I went to 38. What the motivation was, I could see it clearly in my mind. And so my, my, my subconscious mind has no, no way of not, it cannot deny what I consciously want because I keep feeding it that image of me in the pool. So now I'm down to 39 and I'm gonna get to 38. It's sort of like, it's, it's, it's Maxwell Maltz. I don't know if anybody's familiar, Maxwell Maltz, the, the plastic surgeon, but also the therapist. He talks about a reticular activating system. When you set something up clearly, a vision, an image, a picture, then your subconscious mind automatically has to develop that. And he developed that. He had, he had, an, interesting, he had an interesting career in life. But he, he, he went into the, the neuroscience end of plastic surgery because he had clients that he would fix their nose beautiful nose from, you know, hook noses, and, and he'd, he'd reveal, he'd take off the bandages, and they saw the same person that they were before they had the surgery, and, you know, they, doctor, wh what have you done to me? You haven't done a thing. You haven't helped me. That clued him into the whole subconscious, conscious mind, visualization, imagery, uh, pictures, videotapes in your mind. It's it's pretty simple. If you want to change your life, you've got to change the the the, the videos. You gotta you gotta put a new video in the in the in the machine. Amen. Uh, it is simple. I think that's what started my whole journey at the frustration of how simple this was. I was so irritated that I got to Yale and the first day of class on wellness, it tells me how dysfunctional and miswanting our brains are from a neuroscience point of view. And I was like, wait a minute, why don't we tell children this? I needed this in the fifth grade. Thank we need you. to empower and democratize education and how we function and achieving our goals and isolating success. It was so alarming to me when I learned that we only hit our goals 7% of the time. What a yeah. shocking piece of information that children have a failure rate of 93% and that's okay in our universe. No yeah. one stops to say that we should review this. And then I get to the end of my education and find out that these tools are available to help shape and know how our brain works so we can harness true outcomes. Yeah. That's just frustrating to me. I just yeah. feel yeah. like standing on the roof and saying to somebody, why wouldn't we empower everybody to hit their goals. Why wouldn't we make this information so easily accessible for everyone? Why is it saved for Ivy League education at the end of 20 years of graduate work? It makes no sense to me. I loved what you said about going to sleep and waking up the next day. When I was studying, I learned that 
when we go to sleep at night, the infrastructure of our brain gets ironed in from whatever we did during the day. So whatever Amen. positive conversation you had or whatever negative conversation you had with yourself, like it or not, it actually goes into your brain. You become whatever your thoughts are. And that sounds a little like ethereal and woo woo, but it is a neurological fact that when you wake Absolutely. up tomorrow, the pieces of your brain and the inroads to your brain will have a new infrastructure, whatever you told yourself, even if it's not true, like I'm not good at math or I'm not going to succeed or that's not meant for me. And if we continue to believe these things and feed this junk to our brain, then what our brain is going to produce is the only thing it can produce, the junk that Thank you fed it. And Thank it's frustrating you. for me. And I had to learn to relearn to undo some of these negative nuances. I call it the wheat field. If you can imagine your brain is a wheat field and it is an open wheat field. And as you walk across your path, as you walk through the wheat field, connections are made. The more you walk that path, the more clear and defined that path becomes. So too, it does your brain have cells talking to other cells, building an infrastructure. And the more you build these infrastructures, positive or negative, the more easy and rewarding it is for your brain to go to the path because your brain likes efficiencies. But your wheat field may have been cut by the words and the people around you. It isn't necessarily your own dialogue. It can be what educators and family members and siblings have said about you. And to protect that wheat field or to reseed that wheat field, I had to find out as a grown-up that I'm not terrible at math. And you know what? I went to MIT because of it. It took me a long time to undo it, but I had to own the idea that my wheat field was seeded with childhood counselors or parents that were driving me away from the space, not because they were trying to be mean, they were trying to protect me from being hurt. They were trying to lead me in a path of success. And what they did is pull me away from stretching myself in my knowledge gaps. But self-esteem is built when we try and tackle and we're brave to try new things. That's where self-esteem is built. And if we hold ourselves back from trying new things, if we have negative paths built into our wheat field, we inevitably will not hit our goals. Amen. One of my... Uh... One of my first books was on self-esteem. Uh, that's interesting. Hey, I know we're running out of time. Can I leave the audience with one story? Yes, please. And don't forget, maybe tell me first where we can find more about you. I'm dying to know where oh. we can contact you, where our listeners can learn more about you. Good. Just just look up Lynn Fellas on YouTube. I've got some, some, some uh, videos. Erin, uh, uh, my daughter, handles all of my outside work. Uh, yeah, just go on YouTube and I'll leave I'll leave my uh, email address. If anybody's interested in any books, I can email. I mean, I can ebook them as well. Kanaka88 at Comcast.net. K-A-N-A-K-A-88 at Comcast.net. Here's my story for everybody. A few years ago, I was up in Northgate Shopping Center in North Seattle, and there was a circus in town. I, I didn't want to go shopping, which is is not my favorite thing. So I noticed that there were two big tents down below in the big parking lot. So I went down there and just walking around and I noticed there was an elephant, a big regulation size elephant, okay, in between the tents. And it had a small rope tied to his right leg and it ran about 20 feet and there was a small stake in the ground. And the elephant was there by himself. And I wondered why the elephant didn't just 
pull up the stake, take a walk down to Pike Place Market in Seattle, right? And so I started yelling at him, oh, see if he's going to move. He, he'd move, but he wouldn't move his right leg. And I was fascinated. I didn't notice there was a small trailer and this guy came out of the trailer. And he says, hey, what are you doing back here? I said, oh, I was just eyeballing your elephant, trying to find out how come the elephant doesn't move the stake? And he said, that's simple. He said, when the elephant was a baby elephant, we tie his chain, we tie his right leg with a big chain to a big tree and he would try to move and he couldn't. We keep him there for weeks. We'd feed him there, he'd sleep there. And he says, now, whenever is a full grown elephant, well, now, whenever we tie anything to his leg, put it in a small stake, it believes it can't move, so it doesn't even try. So, you know, I'm asking the people that, now, how many, how many ropes have people put on you and how many ropes have you put on yourself? I'm telling you, you can do and be anything you want to do, but you first need to come up with a picture, a vision of what you want, who you want, clearly clear, emotionalized picture of who you wanna become. Once you do that, you tell, you're telling your subconscious mind, hey, this is who I want. This is what I want. This is what I wanna become. Cause I feel good when I'm 219. I feel, good. I feel good when I got $185,000 in my savings account. It's just there. I feel good when I can offer people my experience. I feel good that my grandkids call me and say, Grandpa, here's the situation. What do you think? You know, I, talk to me, Grandpa. Tell me, help me. I feel good about all those things. And everybody else, there is no reason you cannot feel good. There is no reason you cannot realize anything that you want to realize in your life, but you must first come up with a visual. Wow, that's amazing. Dr. Lynn Felez, thank you so much for being here, learning to untie our ropes, to untether ourselves from that stick in the ground that holds us back when we didn't even realize it, learning to get off the autopilot, which, which is denying our own change and being willing to go outside of the autopilot life and own your own potential. I'm so grateful for you being here. I hope you come back and join us. Anytime you just call me, I'm, I'm full of stories, okay? <laughs> I love it. We're going to do this again, absolutely. To all of our listeners on WWPR or anywhere that you're listening on our Sea Change Podcast Network, I'm grateful for you being part of today. Understanding how our brains do that will help us unlock futures and successes in our own life. I'm your host, Audrey Lawrence, and join us for another episode of Sea Change. Thank you for listening to the Sea Change podcast with Audrey Lawrence. Sea Change, a book written by a chick, but not a chick book. To learn more and download your free workbook, go to AudreyLawrence.org.